You're listening to the Tuesday Talks Podcast, your source of truth in communications, identity management, and technology, hosted by New Miracle. Welcome to Tuesday Talks, a live discussion series where we shed light and bring truth to emerging topics in the communications industry. I'm Rebecca Johnson, founder and CEO of Numerical, and I'll be co-hosting today's session with Anise Jaffer. I'm Anise Jaffer, Chief Product Officer for Numerical. So we were trying to decide what topic to dive into for today's part, uh, Tuesday talk. And we kept going back to the question of what it takes to authenticate a call from attestation to the elusive green check mark on the end subscriber's device. Right. And we couldn't get away from the word authenticate. Caller authentication framework. This word authenticate, as it relates to Stir Shaken, is a placeholder for so much more than the simple definition of the root word. And speaking of definitions of words, I have a little confession to make. I am obsessed with words, their meanings, and the origin. So I went down the rabbit hole of authenticate and Anise it turned into a philosophical journey, leaving me speechless over where we have arrived as a society on this quest to achieve the state of authentication. Oh boy, now, now I wanna know more. So, so where did you start this journey and uh, what did you find? So I did not look at the Trace Act or the standards, just good old Merriam-Webster's dictionary. And the modern definition of the word authenticate, which is a transitive verb, is listen, to prove or serve to prove to be real, true, or genuine. Okay, that, that, that sounds like what we discussed in previous talks uh, about the know your customer, TN authorization. It's basically the process of uh, proofing, right? It's a, it's a proofing phase uh, where you come to the conclusion whether or not a service provider can attest what they know to be real, true, or genuine about the enterprise uh, who's originating the call and whether they have the authorization to use the number. Right. And to add to that, we would look to the green check mark to inform us that the information presented can be proven to be real, true, or genuine, right? Right. I mean, I would agree with that. Um, as we're talking about this, it's 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 logical um, and common sense, but it really isn't that simple for a, for a service provider to know what's true and deliver it to the subscriber and be trusted. Right, so those are my thoughts exactly. So I had more questions about the root word in hopes to find how we move from proof to acceptance of proof. So this is what led me to authentic which is the adjective, and I kind of view this as the state of being for someone or something that has been authenticated. Well, when I think of authentic, uh, I'm thinking of, um, let's say a piece of artwork uh, that, that's real and authentic. And then you could have a reprint or a copy, which is, which is not, you know, uh, not the real copy, uh, the real version. Um, similarly, uh, a birth certificate, right? Uh, it could be notarized. Uh, that's, that's an example of being an authentic um, version. Uh, to me, this sounds like we hope the green check mark uh, will emanate and the certificate in itself is the proof of claim. Um, in fact, we, we call this as a claim in the, in the shaken standard. 
Right. So in essence, the meaning of authenticate is really moving us beyond the action to the end result of being authentic. So here's where definitions start to bring more to the meaning of caller authentication framework. And I'm going to read the definition of authentic. And there's three uh, definitions for this word. The first one is worthy of acceptance or mm -hmm. belief as conforming to or based on fact. The second one is made or done the same way as an original. And the last right. one is really simple, not false or imitation. Right. So the, so the more we read about the definitions, the more closely aligned they are to the standard and the objective of um, authenticating the call, especially the last one, not false or imitation. Uh, that's at the crux of the uh, shaken ecosystem. Right. So the IRS scams or the social security scams are basically imitating an entity uh, by spoofing their number. Um, and the industry calling this as the authentication framework, uh, it really captures the intent, but the process to get us to that end state of authentication is still a challenge. Uh, right. Right. And I, I couldn't agree more with that assessment. And so I was left quite, um, you know, satisfied with the definitions I found as I reflected on the processes, you know, within Stir Shaken to achieve that, let's call it state of caller authentication. But then I found something very perplexing. It even provoked, I would say, a strong emotion of disbelief and that I thought for sure Merriam-Webster made a mistake. Because if this is true, I now have a whole new perspective on an important part of the framework aspect of caller authentication framework. What I can't, I can't imagine what you found uh, that would be uh, so jolting. Yeah, so hold on to your seat because we're going on a journey back in time for just a moment if you're okay with that. <laughs> well, well, it's your uh, podcast, so go where you would like. <laughs> right. So as I'm scrolling through the rest of the definition of authentic, feeling quite elated that Merriam-Webster seems to agree with the approach the industry has taken, first or shaken, I come across an obsolete. Obsolete, you mean like obsolete meaning uh, for a word? Right. So it, in, unless you're obsessed with words like I am, which I expect most are not, um, this is something that I am familiar with. But when I first came across it, I wasn't sure what this term meant. Um, so knowing what obsolete means when you're looking at the definitions of words, this is why I had a lot of concern. So as I'm sure you're aware, you know, words and language are fluid and they change through time. Therefore, the, there are labels given to words when they are no longer common use. So the first is archaic. We've heard this term before. Archaic words are those that were once widely used, but are no longer part of the English language. So for right. example, rotary phone, right? Mm -hmm. That's an archaic term. In contrast, an obsolete word is one that is no longer used at all or within the context of the word being defined. In this case, authentic. So a reader encounters uh, these words when reading texts that are, kid you not, centuries old. And in Nice, that word next to obsolete was authoritative. Really? <laughs> authoritative? <laughs> I mean, we, we've heard about, I mean, we, we keep hearing about authoritative registry, 
authoritative database we we hear this all the time in the uh, in the telecom industry uh, it's a, it's a way of saying uh, what has been attested and and uh, holds the truth uh, the information being authenticated uh, now i'm confused i mean why this word is obsolete as it relates to authentic exactly exactly which is why i thought for sure this was wrong so i dug a little deeper into the rabbit hole in anise um, this really could go on forever so i'm only allowing us two more steps further before we're completely lost so i start yet again with the definition and i look at authentic and authoritative which are both adjectives and they describe something right so as adjectives the difference between authoritative and authentic is that authoritative is arising or originating from a figure of authority while authentic mm -hmm. is the same origin as claimed genuine it is genuine so with that definition it almost seems that if we move towards an authoritative origin for uh, enterprise identity and away from the enterprise itself we are losing authenticity because it's one or the other right now now i see why you got lost in this journey <laughs> yes i find it fascinating <laughs> but as i said only two steps further so here's our last step to understanding which takes us to the water's edge of the ocean of philosophy and you have to be careful to not be swept away so I went back to obsolete. Let's talk about that. Centuries ago, when you see the word obsolete, it means centuries ago, this stopped being used. Uh, some group um, whether, you know, looked at the English language and determined a distinction between authoritative and authentic needed to be made. And it feels like a wall was built between these two words, as though people did not want to lose truth in exchange for authority or because of authority. And a question you might be asking yourself is, when was the word authentic introduced to the English language? Maybe you didn't ask it, but I asked myself. And interestingly enough, the word was introduced within the time period that authoritative was made obsolete to the word. And that is the 14th century. <laughs> well, that's interesting. So that's, <laughs> so wow. So, so 14th century is like the, um, uh, Europe coming out of the dark ages and and then you have the uh, renaissance um, uh, cultural renaissance and you have art and and there is a religious turmoil going on at the same time uh, don't want to get into a, <laughs> a lot of those details but I'm thinking that 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 the uh, the church having a lot of authority uh, authority and then the renaissance happening at the same time people uh, there's a lot of cultural and and coming of age in, in Europe. Um, is that something that that triggered this? I mean, I don't know if we want to go deep into this. So uh, uh, yeah, we're, we're I'm going to let you just go one little step further. So Anise, you know, it, I probably took this thing five steps beyond and I'm just nerdy that way. And and I can get lost on that. And I'd rather do that than Netflix binging. So <laughs> um, it was quite fascinating. But let me expand a little further. And you're going to find it brings us right back to stir shaken. So as you pointed out, there is a rise of authoritative figures, groups, religions, and so on. And my theory, and I couldn't find anything readily available to corroborate it. So this is just Rebecca's thoughts. But my theory is that the need to distinguish the two words came due to an invention during the mid-century. 
And that was by Johann Gutenberg, who invented mm -hmm. the printing press. Mm -hmm. So thoughts, ideas, poems, philosophy, beliefs, fictional stories, plays, whatever someone needed or wanted to say could be mass produced and distributed. And here we are with a delivery mechanism to transport words from origination to termination in the hands of the reader. We now have a gap between the authenticator of the words and the recipient. Even without knowing our history, we live in present day challenges of what can arise out of mass accessibility to information without some authority deeming that information authentic or not. So when looking at our mid-century friends, they concluded for themselves that the two words need not be synonymous. And ever since then, authenticity and authoritative have been at odds with moments of some collaboration. <laughs> That's fascinating. Um, but before we turn the session into a history podcast, uh, let's club back our way and let's talk about what does it take to authenticate uh, with what you've just shared, uh, let's look at authenticating the ori originating caller and transporting this information to uh, to the destination, which is hopefully the end subscriber's device with a green check mark. Yes. So let's start with that origination. So Anise, what happens on the originating side of the stir shaken, which is part of the authentication process? Right, so every service provider that originates the call uh, implements essentially what is called as a local policy to determine how they're going to uh, authenticate and attest the call, right? This does not mean that the caller ID, caller ID in itself is authenticated, uh, but they, if the service provider knows who the call originator is and if they have a direct relationship, they can attest the call with with the flag which is a right now if they do not have a direct relationship it could be because there is a third-party call center involved or if the enterprise um, brought the numbers uh, from a different service provider and using uh, another originating service provider um, for originating the call then they may not be able to uh, attest with a flag a uh, so that's essentially um a scenario for B or C, and that is what is called as the attestation gap. Uh, that's you know how how the authentication process in itself is currently proposed. Right. So going back to what we've learned about authenticate, you know, it's the origin, the source of truth. So what are some of the solutions that have been proposed to address this gap in order for this information to come together so that it can be fully authenticated? Right, so there have been multiple models that have been presented uh, in the in the standards group. Uh, one is called delegated search. Uh, it's also sometimes referred as end entity search or enterprise search. Uh, and then you have the centralized registry or a centralized database model. And you also have a distributed ledger model that has also been proposed. Uh, and uh, in addition to it, there to these models that have been that have been discussed in this uh, standards group. There are also some implementations that are outside the standard standards group at this point. Okay, so let's let's kind of walk through each of those. So I'd like to start with the delegated certificates, if you don't mind. Right. So again, there are multiple flavors, but essentially, uh, they all leverage certificates uh, similar to 
web certificates uh, that we are so accustomed to use uh, when we are browsing. Uh, in the most widely discussed delegated cert model, the originating service provider receives a delegated cert from the call originator, and that is used to authenticate the validity of the call. So the cert itself has got details such as uh, the name of the enterprise, uh, the numbers uh, that they that that's been associated with the certificate, uh, and a and a certificate authority who has been um, authorized by the Shake, shaken uh, GA uh, actually issues that cert. So the cert basically is a is an entity cert or a delegated cert that has been given by a service provider to an enterprise. And when the call is actually uh, originated, that certificate is passed to the originating service provider. Then the originating service provider can use that cert to flag that call with an attestation A. Uh, in addition to the delegated cert, the model allows uh, also allows you to add uh, rich call data uh, that could be a logo or a call reason and that could that could be used um, uh, as part of the um, authentication framework and uh, if the rcd data is not stripped it can be transported all the way to termination and then the terminating service provider can can handle that call and then choose to display that information on the device the other models, um, there are some models uh, called Lemon Twist. There's also a TN LOA model. Um, it's kind of similar in 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 certain um, uh, in certain areas uh, because it's a certificate is still issued. Uh, but there are also some variations. Uh, but the most widely discussed model is the delegated cert model. So it sounds like we've we've with that particular model, we have the ability to authenticate the identity and associate it to a delivery mechanism that creates an you know ability to deliver the information unaltered to the terminating side. Right. But since there are multiple, you know, models, there there must be some challenges, you know, with some of them. So what are the challenges to the delegated certificate model? So with the delegated certificate model, the some of the challenges are uh, to do with the renewal of the certificate. Uh, the certificate um, has to be refreshed and renewed at a periodic um, during periodic intervals. Uh, right now, I think there is a proposal for a 24-hour renewal. Uh, there is also a proposal for a long-term certificate. Um, the The reason why the 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 the, the interval has to be uh, short is so that certificates don't get spoofed, right? So that's one challenge. How do you make sure that you have the most updated certificate and that gets get, that is re refreshed? So that's one. And then the other piece is the revocation list. What happens if a certificate is actually uh, revoked or uh, has been compromised? And because of that, that certificate has been, you know, basically revo revoked by either by the enterprise itself or the, or the issuing certificate provider. Now, how do we keep that revocation list in sync, especially with so many service providers uh, looking at it? And how do you, you know, this this list could be quite big. Uh, and because calls are being made real time, and you need to have latency to make sure that that you know you don't have you don't have a delays in answering or making a call. Um, processing revocation lists in real time is a challenge. So that that's the other, um, you know. Uh, 
challenge that there are ways to overcome it, but there, there, you know, these are some of the challenges. So you also mentioned the centralized database and from how I see it, uh, based on <laughs> my enlightenment with, uh, looking at these words, I kind of view this more of an authoritative model kind of concept. So can you explain the centralized database a little bit further? Yeah, it's kind of similar to um, a traditional CNAM database in that you have a, 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 de- a repository or a database where all the information related to numbers are, uh, are stored, right? So, so an enterprise who is the uh, who owns the number or who has the access to that number, uh, who is making calls on behalf of somebody, all of that information has to be stored in one single database. And the uh, idea is to have um, a single authoritative database that anybody can can dip in and um, and and retrieve that information. Again, the challenge would be how do you keep the data in sync? Uh, how do you make sure that the most uh, um, la- the latest data is is updated? And who gets access to it? Who controls access to it? And what happens uh, if if the database gets compromised? Right, so these are all things that uh, that needs to be um, addressed. Uh, I, I and, and some of these are, are the challenges for the centralized database model. Right, so uh, it wasn't lost on me, but you mentioned right at the end uh, when you were describing some of the models uh, that there are implementations outside the standards group. So what what does that mean? Yeah, so while all of these uh, different models are being proposed within the shaken standards. Uh, there are also other solutions uh, called out-of-band solutions. Uh, these solutions essentially pass the data from the enterprise origination side to the terminate, terminating side um, over, over the data network instead of using the communication of the PSTN network, which is used for making the call. For example, Google has um, what, what is called as the Google Verified Caller Solution. Here, the entity or the enterprise and its numbers are verified beforehand, that information is stored with the Google call server. Then before an enterprise actually makes a call, uh, they have to um, uh, place a request or a register that call with Google um, with identifying who they are calling and um, and which number they are calling from. Since the entity has been pre-registered uh, with Google, Google now knows that you know an auth- verified entity is actually making a call to a destination device. And if that destination device is a Google verified phone, then that data can be sent to that device, right? Um, this this data is kind of short-lived, so you don't have an issue of compromising it. However, this is very dependent on Google uh, ecosystem, right? Similar models have been proposed by, I think Twilio had some kind of solution. I don't know if it is live. Um, and uh, WhatsApp and Apple are looking at something similar. Uh, I would assume uh, they have something similar on the text side, on on on, on the SMS world, um, on the messaging in, in in the case of WhatsApp and the iMessages in in the case of Apple. They have something similar, uh, but these are not standard, and it is very specific to that ecosystem. I mean, whether it's Google or Apple or WhatsApp or whatever, it's very specific to that particular ecosystem. So I, I'm just so conditioned in the telecom space to depend on standards for uniformity, interoperability, you know, consistency. So d- does this pose a challenge to the enterprise to operate in this ecosystem? Yes. 
yeah, they have to figure out, you know, who they're calling and what they're using, which ecosystem are they in? And you we can't have all this, all of that data with the enterprise. They, it's, it's, um, it is going to be quite difficult to, to map every single one of their um, customers or in some cases prospects to, uh, and, and how they, in which ecosystem they are in. Um, and then you have the challenge of making sure that the RCD information itself is verified and validated. How do we, how do we do that? So uh, there are multiple issues here um, in terms of uh, out of band um, and, and RCD uh, for that matter. So RCD is another acronym that we should definitely define. <laughs> so RCD stands for rich call data. Um, and there is a standard around defining and delivering this information um, through stir shaken, right? So the purpose is to deliver information to the cold party that will inform them of who is calling and why. So as you can imagine, you know, we find ourselves back <laughs> at the need for authenticating this information so that it can be trusted uh, when presented, <laughs> you know? Um, so, you know, I have absolutely no doubt that we'll probably find ourselves in another space of standards or best practices like we've seen with, you know, vetting the entity identity. Anytime we introduce a new concept of data to be delivered via mm -hmm. this mechanism, which is the voice channel, or let's say any channel, we're going to have to have a place to authenticate. And then hopefully we have a trusted process to be able to present the information so that the end subscriber can actually trust the data. So Anise, it's, it's no surprise um, that we're going to have to break this topic of what it takes to authenticate into two parts. Um, so we've covered the originating side of the story and the different models and the methods with regards to authenticating the information. The next topic we will cover on the terminating side, and that's the delivery of the authenticated information. Right. And how do we get to that place where subscribers, after we do all this work, where the subscribers can trust the data that we deliver to them. I do have one pre-submitted question, thanks. So that one's gonna be uh, to the two of you, is there a way for contact centers to be able to test all of this prior to the June 2021st stir shaking deadline? Anise, I'll let you lead. Yeah, um, it's gonna be a, a challenge to test. Um, so the first thing we have to realize is the certificate uh, the stress shaken certificate gets attached at the communication level, uh, meaning the originating service provider is the one who is actually attaching the certificate. So as an enterprise, you wouldn't have access to that part, right? So you don't, you don't really see what's happening on the, on the network. Now with something like delegated cert, uh, it is possible that you can, you, you can download the cert and, make a call and making sure that the header information has that. Um, but in, even in that case, depending on how it gets implemented, it is going to be a challenge to verify uh, whether the right information has been attached. And again, uh, the, the, the framework is dependent on SIP invites, which means that if you have um, a, a TDM uh, switch in between, where you're originating uh, to the destination, this could actually get lost. And there is another 
um, another framework that is being discussed um, for that. Um, you know, but but it's you know, bottom line is it's going to be uh, it's going to be a challenge to test. It's I, at least right now I don't think there is a way for enterprises to to verify whether the header can be uh, whether the right header has been attached or not. And and just because I looked at these words and I find it fascinating that one of the arguments, again, back in the mid-century, was the inclusion of the word unaltered when it came to authenticated data. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> we are literally writing standards that were issues that mid-century you know, uh, philosophers, whatever, had struggles with understanding. And what was interesting is unaltered got dropped. It got dropped from authenticated because the unaltered was the method of delivery, which is where it belonged. So you can have something authenticated, but how it gets delivered is where it determines if it's altered or unaltered. So fascinating that we're using these words all over again. So uh, with that, I will uh, get, thank you guys for joining us today on another episode of Tuesday Talks. Um, in our next, uh, next session, we will cover part two of what it takes to authenticate, where we will address the terminating side of the authentication standard. So we hope to see you all there on Tuesday, uh, March 23rd at 3 p.m. So until next time, we're signing off.